believe we forgot to put the bulletin in verses 1 through 3. I'm, so, I'm sorry, I forgot to announce that. If you join me now in taking your copy of God's Word and turn with me back to the book of Nehemiah. This morning we will look at chapter 8, verses uh, 1 through 8. So, Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. Of course, we have been away from our study of the book of Nehemiah for a couple of weeks, so we could go through the events of Holy Week. So we took time a couple summers, or summers, a couple of Sundays ago, to look at the gospel account of Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, and then last Sunday, with it being Easter, we of course wanted to look at the accounts of Jesus' resurrection. So that brings us this morning back to our study in Nehemiah. And just a brief review to, to catch us up, because we are making a big turn now in the story of Nehemiah. And so where we have been, or what this is, let me back up and say, the project that we have been reading about for the past seven chapters is now done. The wall has been rebuilt, it has been restored, everything is now in place. And what started as some bad news delivered to Nehemiah led to faithful diligent praying, which led to careful planning, and then wise preparation. And now the project is done. And we would think this is where the story of Nehemiah ends. Nehemiah had one calling, and the calling was to go back to Jerusalem with the exiles, and to, uh, to go back and to work and restore the wall. But what we have seen, and what we will continue to see, is that the restoration of the wall is really just one piece of the puzzle, and the puzzle being the restoration, the spiritual restoration of the covenant community. Why did the wall need to be restored? Not just for defensive sake, but for the safety and security of God's covenant community so they can be gathered together and begin this work of spiritual restoration. So now, in this chapter, we are introduced to the other main character in the story, and that is Ezra the priest. His book comes before this. His account comes before this. But now, he, now Ezra, who has been sent with the exiles back to Jerusalem, we see now in Nehemiah his calling to focus on spiritual reform and restoration. The wall is finished. The temple is in good repair. All attention can now be focused on the greater issue of the spiritual health and good of God's people. And that's the turn we're making this morning. So let me pray for us, and then we'll come together in God's word. So pray with me. Father, this is your word, and your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And woe be to us, when we try to walk by faith in blindness and darkness. And help us this morning, O Lord, not to do that very thing. Give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to obey. For this is your word. This is the very word of the very God. All of your scripture is breathed out by you. And it's profitable for every aspect of our lives. Help us to come then with those ears 
those minds and those hearts. And on our own, we cannot do that. We can only do that through the work and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. Minister to us now in this particular way. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 8. We will stand together now for the reading of God's word. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women and all who could understand what they heard on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday in the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra, the scribe, stood on a wooden platform that they had made for the purpose. And beside him stood a lot of people, whose names we're not going to try to work our way through, but some on his right hand, some on his left hand. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and he opened it, and as he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also, it's a group of Levites who helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense that the people understood the reading. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. Your church officers, the elders and deacons that you have nominated and voted to lead this church, have been spending time recently talking and praying about our church's outreach. We have been discussing how Bethel has done outreach in the past, what we are doing now, and what we need to do moving forward. What are the things we are doing well? What are the things we can improve on? What are some things that we can implement? And all this is for the goal of the spiritual good of the covenant community here at Bethel ARP and for our outreach to the community around us, specifically in Winsboro and Fairfield County. How do we take the ministry of this church out into the world? And really, as we have been talking through this and praying through this, it's really two questions we are we are dealing with. How do we continue to grow internally, spiritually? How do we as Bethel, continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But how do we take this ministry out? In the 21st century, 2022, with a changing world and a changing community, how do we take this ministry out to the people around us? And so next Sunday, we're going to have a joint meeting of of the elders and the deacons to continue this discussion, and we would very much appreciate your prayers for that. There are a couple of ideas on the table that I think I can speak for our groups that we are excited about. 
And if we're able to move forward with them, I believe y'all will be excited about this as well. So I want you to know that's what's happening. That's what's been going on for the past couple of months with your leadership here at Bethel. Now, hypothetically speaking, this is just hypothetical. We come to next Sunday. And I stand to make the announcements and I say, the last announcement is this. At our joint meeting this morning about our outreach, your church officers unanimously agreed that our church spends too little time in worship. So starting on the first Sunday of June, our worship service will now begin at 9 a.m. and will not conclude till at least 2 to 3 p.m. with the majority of time spent in reading large portions of scripture with some sermons sprinkled throughout. Now, before you get to leave, like I said, this is hypothetical. Because my guess would be that for many of us, that recommendation would sound extreme. Some of us may question the wisdom of that. Is the answer really to add on more to our worship? Do we need to think through this some more? But I think if we're honest, a lot of us would think, I don't like that idea because it messes up my Sunday plans. My family gets together for lunch, and we like to be there no later than 1230 or 1 o'clock. And if you keep us much longer, we're not going to get our favorite table at the tea house. Or we're not going to be able to do what we want to do for the rest of the day. And if you head in this direction, our family may need to find another place to worship. Because everybody knows the 11th commandment is, ye shall not worship past 12, 15 p.m. on Sunday. The 11th commandment is worship can only be an hour, if you're a little froggy, an hour and 15 minutes. And if your pastor won't shut up an hour and 23 minutes. We're honest, we would see that recommendation as being too extreme of a move to accomplish outreach. We will drive people away, beginning in here and continuing out there. But did you notice what happened in our passage this morning? The covenant community got up had breakfast, and they were at church at 9 a.m. And they began reading the scriptures. And they began hearing sermons. And at about 3 p.m., they concluded. And did you notice whose idea it was? It wasn't the pastor, because this doesn't end with, and therefore that was Ezra's last day as the pastor. It wasn't the session. It wasn't that fringe group of holy rollers who had nothing better to do on that day. It was the covenant community as a whole. It was the church. United in such a way that Nehemiah said that they were gathered as one man. They were so united that they were one. They were like one organism. So in this oneness, The covenant community 
went to Ezra's pastor study and they said, Pastor, please take this time and take as much time as you need to lead us in God's word. So the hypothetical that sounds extreme to our ears and we are probably convinced would kill this church one of the first services of the church in restored Jerusalem and it was desired by God's people. Their mind and their heart's desire was to be gathered under God's word in such a way. And God used that time to bring spiritual revival to the people and to the community. Because the turn we are making here in chapter 8 for the next two chapters, is a turn of seeing a work of reformation and revival. God very visibly steps into the situation and brings about a renewal not only of worship, but enthusiastic worship, not frozen chosen worship. They lifted their hands and they said, Amen. Amen. And there was a consecrated obedience that God's city had not seen in 200 years. They're coming to the end of these long, dark years of exile. Jerusalem had languished almost to the point of extinction. And what worship there was happened in private. They had to go away and do it private, but all the time longing for return back to the better days. We didn't have to hide in your worship, but you could get up. And have a good breakfast and put on your Sunday bests and get in your car and drive to Bethel and join all your other family and friends there for worship. For the better part of 70 years, they were a dead church. There is no genuine religious enthusiasm. But here, change is happening. And the change was instigated by the covenant community. And it's a change that is centered upon God's word. And that's how God changes people. If we want reformation, not talking specifically about the reformation of Luther, but the reforming of our lives, the revival of a love for God and a love for his way, it doesn't begin out there. It begins by a renewed and deepened study of the scriptures. And this should be what we want. We want outreach. We want revival. And it should begin with God's word. So the three points we see in this passage are devotion, desire, and dedication. And I'm going to say that one more time. Because this is one of the few times I was actually smart enough to come up with an alliteration for this passage. And I'm very proud of it. So I'm going to say it one more time. Devotion, desire, and dedication. Three Ds. And I'll come up with another one in the next ten years or so. We, we begin with devotion. As we've seen, is the people who are so devoted to this idea... That they go to Ezra and they say, Ezra, as our pastor, we give you this time. Use as much time as you need to, to lead us in God's word. That's interesting 
This gathering was voluntary. They weren't forced to come. They weren't compelled. There wasn't passive-aggressive guilt to come. You know, will you join us? If you love Jesus, then you'll join us. Right? There was none of that. They came as one man, voluntary, willing, in devotion to God and His Word and the worship of God. So it's devotion. In this devotion, they have gathered themselves together by common agreement. It's not just the men who came, but, but women and children. Whoever was capable of understanding, they all came. And to go along this time, they, they, built, a, they built a special pulpit. And it was one that was upraised. So, so when the reading and teaching of scriptures happening, it was done from the pulpit that was raised up. So interestingly enough, the tradition of having this sort of piece of furniture just raised up, that comes back from Ezra's time. But the covenant community is devoted to Bible instruction after nearly 70 years of disappointing progress. They become ignorant. They become ignorant of large sections of the Bible and it shows. And the scary thing is, Ligonier Ministries, R.C. Sproul's uh, ministry in, in, in Florida, we use table taught. They do things, a biannual, triannual study of the health of the church. And what the studies have shown over the years is that in the church is a growing ignorance of God's word. People can't tell you the four gospels. They can't tell you what the first book of the Bible is or the last book of the Bible. And these are people who are like us in church every Sunday. The people here realize that if they are going to grow spiritually and be the men and women of God that they are meant to be, that it needs to start with the study of scriptures and to learn what God requires of them. So they are devoted to this. That's the devotion we see here. They want to read God's word. They want to hear God's word. They want to grow in God's word. And the way this text reads, there's a time frame of and the time frame is that the work on the wall has just been completed maybe a week before, not much longer than a couple of weeks. So you think about the, 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 the physical labor that went into building the wall. They're still recovering from this. The women are probably still trying to scrub the sweat stains out of their husband's robes. The, 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 their hands are still calloused and bruised. They're there's probably still blood caked underneath their, their nails from where they had just hit their fingers and hands too many times on, with stones and hammers. They're still sleeping hard at night because they're physically exhausted from the work. Yet, in spite of that, they go to Ezra and they say, we want to sit underneath the reading and preaching of God's word. There's no excuse here. There's no, well, I've got this. There's no, well, I've got that. There's simply, we want to hear from our God and his word. They were devoted to the reading of preaching of God's word. It was their top devotion. I don't think we have to lead very far to see the connection with us this morning. That connection is about our own devotion to the reading and preaching of God's word. 
It's Sunday. It's the Lord's Day. It's been a long week of work. May have been some hard circumstances, some difficult circumstances. Long nights away from home because you've got kids who are playing sports. You have the cares of the world pressing in on you. You have other people, entities who are encouraging you not to go to church on this Sunday. Let your kid play ball so they can get good enough at ball so maybe they can go to college one day. But you're going to have to skip a lot of Sundays and it will all be worth it. Where's our devotion? Where's your devotion? Where's my devotion? We see it this morning. You're here. Where will it be next Sunday? And the Sunday after? And that Sunday where it's just too beautiful to want to be sitting in church? Where is our devotion to the reading of God's word and the faithful preaching of it. The covenant community had every excuse, didn't they? And they never took it. From devotion, we find desire. Not only were they devoted to the reading and preaching of God's word, they desired the reading and preaching of God's word. It's one thing to be physically present. It's another thing to be all the way present. I was physically present in high school, most of the time. And I graduate with a 1.0 GPA. And that's serious. I graduated with a D average. Because the most I could do was on most days get myself physically to school. So it's one thing to be physically present. It's another thing to be presence. And the covenant community's desire for God's word was such that they didn't just show up to stay physically present, to check off the boss that they'd done it so their parents won't fuss at them. Or they feel guilty standing in front of their neighbor who invited them to come that day, but they didn't come. They desired this time. They wanted to be there. Nothing And no one was going to stand in their way to come and enjoy this time. Their desire made sure of it. If you went to their kitchen and looked at their calendar, that day was circled in red. If you'd gone to their house the day before, you'd see they were making preparations, getting food ready, getting their clothes laid out. It was their desire. They were going to be there. And I think it's easy to, to see this desire... And then look at this account, and we just, and we just focus on the time commitments. Six hours can be a long time. Let's, let's, not, let's make no bones about it. Let's not sound super spiritual. Six hours is a long time. And as much as pastors love this passage, you know, we're, we hear somebody grumbling about how long we preach, and we go, if you think I'm preaching long, <laughs> go read Ezra 8 before you go and grumble to other people about how long my sermons are. This focus here isn't meant to be on the time, it's what the time represents, because the time represents desire. God's people so desired this time under God's word that time just ceased to matter. Six hours became nothing to them because they were having their heart's desire fulfilled. 
So the focus here isn't on how long you worship. The focus here is on the desire of it. They desire. This is what they wanted. This in some sense was like Christmas morning for them. They were out of exile. They were back together. And now they get to sit underneath the reading and preaching of God's word. But I think there is something to be said about time. Because desire can equal time. When we desire something, we give time to it. When we don't desire it, we try not to give time to it. So there is a connection between desire and time, isn't there? I will think of it this way. That you find that every time you go to this particular person to have a conversation, that about 15 to 20 minutes into it, they start to get antsy. And they, they look at their watches and they kind of start looking over your shoulder, they're making it obvious that they want you to just please shut up so they can move on, what would you do? I think most of us would probably stop talking to them, wouldn't we? They show no desire to want to talk to us. When you see how they act and then you hear how they go out to other people and complain, like, boy, every time James comes up and talks to me, it's just, 15 to 20 minutes of just blah, 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 blah. I just wish he would quit so I could get on with something better. We wouldn't want to talk with him anymore, would we? Cross them off the list of me trying to talk to them after church on Sunday morning. Desire can equal time. Time can equally, can equal desire. When you purposely Limit your time with God because other things have a priority. At what point does God stop talking to you? At what point does his word stop blessing you because you have limited your desire of him and his word? God, if you're listening to me, I'll give you 20 to 30 minutes then I'm heading on to something else more important. Before you think that's extreme, read Romans 1. Where we're told that God can and will reach a point with our sinful lack of desire for him where he will give us over to our sinful desires. And what we will find is those sinful desires are hell. Literally, and figuratively. And the day we stop hearing from God, it will be hell. We, as God's people, are to desire His Word. The great commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Not for 10 minutes, not for 30 minutes. Not where you can allow the time. Love him with all. Flip the coin. What if God only loved you for 30 minutes? What if God only desired your presence for 15 minutes? And after that, he was done with you. Better cross your fingers that when you die is within that time frame. Otherwise, it's just not going to look good for you, is it? 
It is to be our heart's desire. Because the Bible is the loving Father, the Savior's Son, and the comforting Spirit speaking to us through His Word. It's the triumph God telling us how much He loves us and how we can best live in that love, how we can be blessed by the knowledge and experience of, our, of that love. How can we limit our desire of that? And if we do, do we really know that love? I am a blessed man. And God has blessed me in a number of ways. And one of my great blessings are my children. And each of my children in their own way are good and faithful about expressing their love for me. They each have their own way of doing it, but they're both good and faithful about doing it. Hannah's is when I walk in the door, she runs and jumps on me. And I have to tell her, honey, give me warning because I'm old and I'm out of shape and you may break my back. So let me steal myself for this hug. But I want you, again, imagine you come over to my house this week and we're sitting in a den and we're talking. And one of my children comes in and they said, Daddy, I just want to tell you how much I love you. And I look at him and I said, would you shut up? Just shut up. I have something else more important going on right now. I'll let you know when I'm ready to hear from you. God forbid that ever happen. But if it does, you have my permission to do two things. First, stand up and smack the tar out of me. Secondly, go in your car, go home, call all, all the elders and say, you need to fire that pastor. He's a jerk. When we have God's word for us right here, his word of love for us, we are tempted to have that attitude, aren't we? Our desire can go for something else. We need to desire for God's word to be read, for us to be in it and under it. And this all then leads to dedication, seen in the last verse. They read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. So when it says that the people understood the reading, there's implied in that the idea of dedication to living out the word they had desired to hear and understand. Why else would they be standing there for six hours? It's like how our confession teaches. What do the scriptures principally teach? The scriptures, the scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires man. So after generations of being physically exiled from Jerusalem, suffering spiritually, God's people were ready to live as they were created for, as they had been redeemed and called to. They were now longing to live as God's people, for his voice and for his will to be the comp- their compass in their life and for them to only move in the direction he's called them to. It moves them to be Pentecostal. They, they raise their hands and they cry out, Amen. But they reached a point where they were tired of living in and for their sins and they were ready for something better. They were ready for the grace and blessing of living for God and his glory. And that is a wonderful place to come to, isn't it? To be so tired of sins, to be so tired of the damage your sins could do on your life and your soul that you just now desire this dedication of the grace and blessing of living for God and for his glory. That is the place we all want to be in. Samuel Rutherford, I think, said it so well. Duties are ours. Events are the Lord's. 
Duty is mine. So I dedicate myself to it and I leave the rest to the Lord, the one who so loved me that he moved heaven and earth to save my unworthy soul. That is the dedication of the Christian. So I ask you this morning, are you tired of the place you are in right now? Are you tired of of the life of sin that has caused so much damage on your life and on your soul? And on the outside, you may have this veneer of a happy life. On the inside, you are dying because you have not been devoted to God's word. You have not desired God's word and you have not been dedicated to it. Understand that this is what the Father loves us to. This is what the Son has redeemed us for. And that is the direction the Spirit always points us in. So if you're tired and you reach that point where you want it no more, then come to God's Word. Come out of exile and be devoted to it Desire it and be dedicated to living it out. Join me as we pray.